Today is Tuesday, May 24th, and this is episode number eight of Hard to Kill. Okay, welcome back for episode eight. It has been a little bit since our last episode, but it's been a minute. Life gets in the way. Yeah. We've been it's been spring, so we've been planting gardens and it's been a wonderful Tuesdays week. is generally our podcast day and it has been busy and taken up with other stuff. Other activities. Um my name is Jeff Algar. If we didn't do that, I would be remiss. Yeah. And with me as always is I'm Katie Algar. Okay, so as always, we're gonna get into some hot takes. We need some corny name for this segment where we go through the news. Um, Healthy takes. Bits and bobs. I don't know. Uh, so this was out of, this was April 2022 out of the Journal of the AMA, American Medical Association, that fatal drug overdoses were up among teens. I'll just read the little bit of the excerpt here, but. Uh, While drug use among teens is at historic lows, which is good, a recent study found that drug overdose deaths have been doubled among adolescents uh, in the last couple of years. The researchers note that the vast majority of overdose deaths were the result of taking fake versions of prescription drugs that were laced with fentanyl, which is a synthetic opioid that is 80 to 100 times stronger than morphine. Uh, Certainly, fentanyl has been in the news quite a bit lately with it being kind of laced and all sorts of stuff. Uh, The reason I actually bring that I thought this was interesting, I want to talk about this, is not so much that this is tragic, which certainly it is. Uh, I think it's good news that uh, the drug use among teens is at historic lows, so that's a good thing. Uh, But again, the point with this is we've got... Illicit drug use? Yeah, I don't know. It just says drug use. Uh, Yeah, illicit drug use, I would. I mean, off using drugs for reasons that someone in a lab coat didn't recommend. Got it. Uh, but that brings us to the point of, you know, these were taking fake versions of prescription drugs that were laced with fentanyl. Uh, I, I do think we have to take an honest look at w- what we say and what we do when it comes to just say no to drugs in the sense of um, we can tell our kids not to take drugs and that they're bad for you and that, you know, whatever. But when they see mom and dad or when whenever they have a headache, whenever they have a bad day, whatever, the number one thing that we reach for in Western medicine is a pill bottle. It's a prescription to make us feel better generally. Like the solution always for whatever state that we're in, in today's world, if you turn on the TV, every second bloody commercial is about some sort of prescription drug. To, to change a symptom, to change how you feel. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a little bit moronic to, on the one hand, expect our kids to not reach for, to, to have an issue with taking a pill for something, mm-hmm. entertainment, recreation, to focus, feel better, feel better, whatever. Yeah. You know, when that's what we do. When yeah. you, every other moment when your kid has a headache, you reach for the, no, I'm not pointing fingers, but I mean, generally, and when I say you, I mean, just generally in America, I mean, you know, what we do is reach for the pill bottle mm-hmm. and we, we take a Tylenol ourselves. I mean, and I'm not saying there's never a time and a place for that, but I do think we have to take a strong look at what we say and what we, you know, do as and I say, not as I do type yeah. thing with our kids is that we're, we're really training our kids to 
become reach for the reach for a pill when something again for recreation for yeah. uh to change a symptom or whatever so just a little thing that i thought was interesting there is it's, it doesn't really surprise me that obviously the the whole issue of everything being laced with fentanyl is i mean insane right now i mean there's people out there that are literally trying to kill you yes <laughs> right i mean hard to kill so we're trying to become so but i think in that vein is is uh you know i don't want my i don't want my kids to reach for safe drugs i don't want my kids to reach for any drugs and so like we have to be you know our kids we have four of them uh don't you know certainly get headaches very often which we'll come to back in a second i think here but uh, or, I mean, they've never, you know, we've never had an antibiotic. I mean, yeah. Ear, ear drops once, I think, for an outer ear infection, right? Yeah. You the outer ear drops in an ear once. Uh, but that, you know, it's like we're not every time that they're. Right. You know, there's not something that we don't even, you know, we're, we're not reaching for the pill bottle every every second of the day. In um, most things, we always want to reach for the source of the problem, whether it be a physical ailment or a mental ailment. Um it's it, the the drugs are just they're not addressing the source of the issue. Yeah. So yeah, that's so, a we got a yeah. root cause, and then the whole concept of the solution is always in a pill anyway. Like it, no. we shouldn't be surprised if our kids start reaching for things when we are. What? Yeah, exactly. When we're showing them, you know, just because someone in a lab coat gave it to you doesn't mean it's safe mm -hmm. versus someone on you know with street clothes or whatever. So yeah. anyway, we get the idea. We get the idea. Yep. All right, and then I'm going to scroll down and address an another health alert. The U.S. water systems often contain uranium. An analysis of records for 139,000 public water systems in the U.S. found nearly two-thirds, 66-plus percent, had detectable levels of uranium, with 2% having an annual uranium concentration that exceeds the Environmental Protection Agency guidelines. The findings are concerning as long-term exposure to uranium may contribute to chronic disease. Um, so get a water filter, guys. Um, we're been, I've said this before on other podcasts, we are bombarded and attacked from every angle with toxins that can potentially kill us either slowly or quickly. So, um, Clean air, clean water, clean food is is paramount, especially these days, uh, as we can see in our water supply with uranium and other heavy metals. So even just on a daily basis, if you're a supplement taker, um, addressing heavy metal toxicity and, and incorporating some sort of supplement that helps detox your body from heavy metals is definitely something that I do. I know I do a very simple, it's a zeolite spray um, that the zeolite nanoparticles that are sus suspended in water. And I literally just spray it in my mouth three times a day. And that helps me eliminate um, heavy metal toxicity overload in my body. And there's other things um, you can do, but this isn't a podcast for to go over all of that today, but just a little tip. And that was out of the Lancet Planetary Health Journal, again, April 
2022. Um, I think the concerning thing here, obviously, is that we're detecting uranium in water. Only 2% was above uh, the EPA guidelines, but uh, I don't. I don't think any, any uranium, uranium is good, is and good. I, it's not heading in the right direction. Also, I mean, these are problems that are getting worse and worse and worse. I mean, literally every week as we, in our practice, send out these daily health updates. I mean, there's more and more studies that are coming out where we're finding levels of heavy metals and toxins in our water. And so, you know, detoxing is one thing, but not toxifying yourself as best as possible is another. And so, looking at you know, if we're if we are drinking water out of a public health source. Again, it's just less that you control. We've always talked about we want to be in control as much as we can. You know, you can have your water tested yourself to see what's in it. I think every public municipality probably has uh, reports online that you can look at and see whether those can be trusted or not. I mean, I don't know, mm -hmm. but but you can send water in. Uh, we've actually... You know, thought about doing that and just was, well, I won't get into it, but brewing our Brewer own beer. Brewer. Yes. Uh, you know, having the water tested to know kind of the hardness and that sort of stuff of water is we're, you know, changing water chemistry to ideally fit fit the, the brew, the style of beer. Uh, but you can send them in the labs uh, and, and actually get the water tested. Uh, and as Kate said, we do use a, like in our house, we do have an RO system, um, which again is, you know, it's a at home $120 RO system. I'm, we're not claiming that that is, you know impenetrable or the spray that she uses are impenetrable but you do want to try and you know minimize that toxin exposure uh, you know outside of moving to a mountain in Idaho and drinking straight from a stream it's yeah. you know it's hard to do but I, I do think those options of, of you know I, I do think get not drinking city water is probably a 100% and I think thing. uranium is probably the least of our worries that's been found in the water like birth control hormones have been found in the water supply fluoride i mean they're automatically putting that still in water for whatever reason i don't know um, i think i would take fluoride over uranium would you have you seen chernobyl oh. and that was a lot of uranium but yeah. great show by the way fluoride creates dumb dumb it was a great show um study that came out of the journal of headache and pain uh, most people get headaches. So following a review of data from 357 studies, researchers estimate that over half, 52% of people have at least one headache a year with 14% suffering from migraines, 14% of people suffering from migraines, 26% experience intention headaches, about 5% having a headache on at least 15 or more days per month. Um, we hear this now, we think we've talked about this on a past podcast, but you know, you can turn on the TV and watch the Tylenol commercials for your, or a leave, whatever it is for your everyday evening headaches, you know. And I think this is, this is part of normalizing unhealthiness, mm -hmm. uh, which we've talked about before. But we have this, you know, this just this trend that we're starting to make common, what's common, normal. So it is common now for people to have headaches, uh, but it is not normal. You know, I think in our house, a headache is a red flag. I mean, that's, you know, that's symptoms are signals. One of the things we try and teach our practice members all the time, this is your body communicating with you and pain is, you know, there's a problem. And so if we're having, unfortunately, like the 5% of people having 15, I mean, that's literally every other day in a month mm -hmm. having a headache, which we see in our practice quite often. It's, it really is a, it's shocking and it's a, it's not just a normal thing. It's not just, you know, we've, we've made disease normal. You know, it's just, oh, it's just something that happens. It's my thyroid. It's, you know, 
cancer is, you know, killing a third of Americans, heart disease is killing a third of Americans or whatever the, you know, updated stats are. Yeah. These are not normal things. These are not normal things. They're signs of dysfunction. They are signs of problems in the body. Uh, and, you know, it's not, we should not, I would say, uh, expect or, you know, accept, I guess is a better term, that that is just something that should be happening to us. And, and right. you know, this is, we have to act on that. As Kate said, you know, I think, you mentioned earlier, uh, maybe this was just with us talking, but you know, you can't just reach, reach them for a pill bottle or, or whatever it is, even if it's whatever you do to deal with headaches. I mean, it's, you know, we ha we still want to try and get to the root causes of those problems because just a symptom relief thing, if they keep happening, I mean, there is a dysfunction that's living there that just shows, I think kind of how the, the state that we're in of how maybe it's lied, tied to the uranium, you know, who knows, uh, but yeah. the the amount of stress that the body is under uh, currently to get to get that many headaches, uh, I doubt our hunter gatherer ancestors had fifteen headaches a month. Yeah. So. And when the slogan for a uh, over the counter brand is for your everyday, what is it? Your everyday normal headaches. Everyday evening headaches. Oh yeah. Or your, yeah, whatever it is. I mean, that's gaslighting at its best. Right. So yes. that's like, you know, we're constantly being told one thing so that we accept that that's the now, you know, normal thing where 20 years ago had been like, that's crazy. You know, you just slowly are fed this information and then it just changes the way that your brain thinks about, you know, how something, what, what is true, mm -hmm. what is normal. Normal is no headaches. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it said in here, was this? I, I mean, that was a good news that there was, where's the headache thing here? So 50% have at least one headache a year, which so that means, which I actually find this hard to believe. That means that 48% of the people didn't have a headache once a year. I don't know. Maybe the sample size in our practice is insanely different, but I mean, maybe people come and see us have headaches, but I would, I would be shocked if that's actually that, you know, that's actually the case. Right. That 48% don't have a headache once a year. That's maybe more shocking than the other side. <laughs> <laughs> Just with where we're at in today's world. Did you have another one? Um, I well, I didn't, but I did come across this, which ties into what we're going to talk about today: is the proven benefits of intermittent fasting. So, according to this organization called For Care Education and Research, back in March of this year, um, they noted the following benefits of intermittent fasting, which they define intermittent fasting as restricting eating to a limited window each day or not eating one or two days a week, for example. Weight loss, obviously. Less inflammation in the body. Slows cellular aging. Increases fat burning. Improves insulin sensitivity. Improves mental concentration. Increases brain function and health. Increases energy. Improves heart health. Reduces the risk for some cancers and improves gut health and immune function. So, or we're big fans. how we would describe it helps get your body back to function the way that it's genetically designed to function. Oh, we will talk about. Uh, we have, I think, talked about intermittent fasting a little bit, but we are going to get into it a little bit more detail here in the following weeks. We're going to be on a trend coming up, just talking about nutrition for a couple podcasts in a row. And that will be part of it, kind of the the, uh, the fasting part of it. We're going to get into the nitty-gritty detail of fasting, so stay tuned for that. 
Uh, last one here is from a journal called Neuropsychiatric Disease and Treatment. This is February of 2022. All about chiropractic. Love this one. Does spinal manipulation, manipulation, I hate that term though, <laughs> affect brain function? Uh, individuals with chronic low back pain are known to exhibit abnormal brain function in areas of the brain associated with regulating emotions and pain, as well as processing cognitive tasks involving memory formation. In a recent experiment, researchers observed that patients with chronic low back pain, I can't read today or talk, experienced improving function in these areas of the brain following the application of a spinal adjustment, the primary form of treatment provided by doctors of chiropractic. Um, so this is not just people with low back pain. You know, we get into this. We have, you know, there is, and maybe this would be a fun podcast to get into the different models of, of subluxation or, you know, spinal issues and yeah, how that affects the body. Uh, but there is a big, number one, so certainly just being in constant pain all the time, it really does shift your state of brain function away from thriving into surviving. It's it. Uh, so I was doing a workout the other day and uh, did some Romanian deadlifts and my right hamstring has been like just sore to the touch after doing those. And just, we, you know, we had adjusted 115 people, I think yesterday. And I mean, every time a patient laid down and I'm bending over them, I can feel that hamstring. I mean, by the end of the day, I was just physically exhausted. Uh, being in pain is, it's just hard on your body all the time. And there are so many people that live like that, you know, number one. Yeah. So certainly just getting, helping to restore mobility and alignment in the joints of the spine, just from a mechanical standpoint, nothing neurologic is real. I mean, you know, taking care of your chronic pain issues improves quality of life outside of just my back feels better. I mean, there's, we documented evidence of brain function changes and all that sort of stuff as a study, study cited, uh, but you don't have to have pain even to get the neurologic benefits, brain neurologic benefits from chiropractic. And so this is something that I think, you know, there's this, there's all the joints of your body, all the tissues in your body, uh, especially the joints and especially the upper spine, send information up to your brain called proprioceptive information, which is basically, uh, think of it as movement information. Every time a joint moves, there is a signal that gets sent to the brain and it tells the brain what's moving and where your body is in space. Uh, and this is a model of called disafferentation that when the, when the vertebrae of the spine stop moving correctly, that you actually alter this flow of proprioceptive input up into the brain and it, it shifts, uh, the, state of brain function from a parasympathetic dominant, hopefully, state, which is what we call the rest and digest state, which is great for living and thriving. It's where you want to be. And healing. And healing, yeah. Into more of a fight or flight state. Fight or flight is a brilliant state that the body is goes into when it's necessary to fight like a warrior or flee like an animal, right? It should be a short-lived, being in a fight or flight state should be a short-lived thing. But things like chronic subluxation or, or in this case, uh, just simply, you know, stuck vertebrae where you're not moving correctly or you not moving yourself, just being sedentary will shift the body into more of a fight or flight state. So you're never really getting fully into a parasympathetic rest and digest state physiologically. And I think you read earlier that all these proven benefits of intermittent fasting you know, weight loss, inflammation, cellular, slow cellular aging, increases fat burning, improves insulin sensitivity. Fasting is one of the, the best ways to get your body into a parasympathetic state. 
And so this is the same thing with, with a large portion of what we do in chiropractic. Uh, there's so many ways that chiropractic is beneficial and there's so many ways that, you know, a subluxation can go wrong. You, it starts with stuck vertebrae and then the spine starts to deteriorate and discs, you know, can begin to deteriorate and vertebrae can get out of alignment. Then you can begin to pinch nerves that go directly to organs and that can just have, wreak havoc on coordination in those organs and cause malfunction. But this is, I think, an argument for chiropractic care from birth to death is just maintained, especially in our sedentary society where we're just not moving correctly, is keeping the 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 joints of your spine specifically moving properly and communicating to your brain, which allows your brain to understand where it is in space, which is super important. And ultimately keeping your body in a better state of rest and digest is just all those things we talked about with intermittent fasting are also going to happen under when you're in that state compared to a fight or flight state, you will live a longer, healthier, happier life by keeping your spine moving, by fasting, by exercising, by getting eight hours of sleep at night. I mean, these are eight plus hours of sleep at night. I mean, they're all all things that are this whole podcast is built on is yeah. putting the body in a genetically congruent state to thrive. Yeah. Um, so we'll end on that one for that. But our encouragement is if you are not under chiropractic care, get into a good chiropractor's office and uh, take care of yourself, man. It is it's just so crucial. And we're just scratching the surface on that, but yeah, super crucial. But that is, it's really interesting how, I mean, there is so much research now that is going into really how, how chiropractic care affects the brain. Uh, you know, we always used to kind of talk about it with, in, you know, these subluxations would interfere with the messages that the brain is trying to send to the body. But I think even more research is coming out now that is affecting even small, tiny, painless subluxations are affecting Brain the function. flow of information up to the brain and, and affecting how the brain functions and are producing this fight or flight state, which when you look at the chronic diseases that the, you know, lifestyle diseases in America, whether it's cancer, heart disease, diabetes, you know, depression, anxiety, ADD, ADHD in kids. I mean, these are, this is the body stuck in a fight or flight state. And there's more than one reason for that, but that, Anything that you can do that contributes into getting your body out of fight or flight into a rest and digest state is something you are doing for health. Mm-hmm. That's healthcare. 100%. Building health, right? And so, so much of what we do in Western medicine is treating the symptoms of that, mm-hmm. of the body being stuck in that, you know, fight or flight state out of its natural genetically congruent environment. Anyway, beautiful stuff. Beautiful yeah. stuff there. So we like to see that and uh, glad to see that's coming out more and more and more in the literature. So um, that's good. Thoughts, questions, comments, concerns. Okay. Just to reiterate that chiropractic is so important for a healthy lifestyle. I mean, we know how to take care of our teeth and most people have a grasp on uh, the general nutrition and exercise component of a healthy living and um or they know it's important, maybe not the details of it, but the most people don't know how to take care of or understand the importance of taking care of your spine and how that ties into your overall healthy lifestyle. So, yeah, I do think most people, when you go back to even it's so short, it's so superficial the way that we look at a lot of this stuff. So, you know, we view chiropractic care and you know, honestly, shame on our profession because we've, you know, most of our profession, it's all we talk about is the pain concept. And it's like, we have this massive impact on the body. Because insurance pays for that. Well, and they're gigantic sissies. Chiropractors are? Yeah. 
Talk about not taking less a, bold, yeah. Not yeah. taking a stand. I mean, we literally mm-hmm. have some just giants. There's people that that literally f- were in jail, like literally multiple times. Right? What is 162 chiropractors jailed? You know, since the beginning of the 20th century, basically, yeah. for practicing medicine without a license, and you know. Most of our profession is happy putting biofreeze on someone's low back pain so it feels better. When you can alter brain function and teach them about this sort of stuff, it's just crazy. But so shame on us, shame on our profession. We need to step up and do a better job. And so let's do that. Two, uh, I even think with things like nutrition and exercise, I think, you know, again, it's just superficial. I think most people do that stuff not because they, are understanding these concepts of like trying to promote like it's an essential like movement is a nutrient for health it's like oh i want to look better sure right lose less weight i got a diet so i lose weight and we're going to talk about this with the diet thing so it's it's these concepts that are hopefully elevating the importance of these lifestyle things that we do because we understand the absolute necessity that as a biologic organism it is essential for us to thrive and survive you know by partaking in these things good segue yeah because now we're going to talk about nutrition so, Food talk and about diet. That. so here's there are so many diets out there and i and i think we have this concept and this gets back to the superficial nature and maybe not the people listening to this podcast because you're listening to a health podcast but i think most people like when, when we think of food, like we eat food to stop us from being hungry, hungry, right? I mean, that's what we view the purpose of eating as. It's like, mm-hmm. I'm hungry. I have an itch and I need to scratch that itch. And it doesn't really matter how I scratch that itch. As long as it stops itching, that's a good thing. And I just, the reason I think that is when you look at how Americans generally have eaten over the last little bit or Western nations have generally eaten. It's the, the, it's been more about flavor and being satisfied and convenient and fast and easy to grab. Yes. Good point. So yes, quick, convenient, easy. If I can scratch that itch quickly versus over 20 minutes, what's better? Well, I just need to scratch the itch, right? If I, I just need to be full. I don't want to feel this hunger anymore. I'm hungry, so I need to fill that. What's the easiest way to do that? Something quick, something convenient, right? And that's gotten us into a big problem, pun intended. For big? Big. (laughs) Um, So we talk about, you know, the, the purpose of food is to provide two things. Nutrients and... Calories. Yeah, calories. So energy. So that we eat... Because our body requires raw materials to build ourselves out of. So we actually need physical, you know, chemicals like proteins to rebuild the body. And then we need calories. So we need energy, which we break down those nutrients and we can burn them to produce ATP. We're getting too nerdy, but to produce energy for us to do things like walk and move and think and breathe Mm -hmm. and all the essential things. So that is the purpose of food. Food is not something that we do to scratch an itch to satisfy hunger. Food is something that we do to supply our body with nutrients and energy so that we can hopefully perform at our best. Okay. Uh, And so we're going to talk today a little bit about what is the perfect diet. So if we were to go, okay, how, what is the best way if, if we understand that food has a purpose, that eating and nutrition has a purpose, what's the best way to do that? 
uh, that's what we're going to go after today. So if you look at most diets, I mean, we talk about there's, you know, we have things like Atkins diet, which is like a kind of a high fat, low carb diet back in the nineties. That was kind of fatty, fatty, not fatty. It was fatty. And it was also fatty with D's. Oh yeah. A big fat. Uh, at the time. Was there's, it fatty or was it just pure protein? Atkins. Uh, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe I know it was low carb. Yeah. It was low carb. So maybe it was high protein. Moderate. Keto is high fat. Is high fat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which we're gonna get into these things. So like, we're gonna talk about all these different diets here today, and because I think there's good things with like Atkins. There's Paleo diet. Uh, we have a vegan diet. Gag me. We have the Mediterranean diet. We have the keto diet. Things like Whole Thirty. I mean, these are all yeah. the diets that are out there. And you, you know, a lot of people listening to this will have you know maybe experimented with some of these. Diets. Yeah, I have. Uh, I read that skinny bitch book. That was vegan. I mean, you read, they these people make good cases. Now we have to put the explicit filter on this podcast. Well, that was the title of the book. Well, what can po- I say? Spotify vegan. doesn't care. Mm-hmm. Neither does Jesus. Skinny brat book. Thank you. So, I, I, when we talk about what is the best diet out there, I think we have to go, what's the purpose of the diet? And most people, when they think about what's the purpose of the diet... Kate, what's the purpose of, why do most people go on a diet? To lose weight. Right. To lose weight, look better, whatever. The, right, a diet is, so we're not, when we talk about what is the best diet, we're not talking about what's the best way to lose weight. We say diet, what we mean is what's the best plan for eating, (laughs) right? Diet is not something I'm going to do for 30 days or six weeks or two months or six months till I reach a goal. The best diet is something that, what is the best way I eat now? I'm going to eat in a year from now. I'm going to eat in five years from now. So what's the, what, what are we genetically designed to eat basically? Um, so when we look at those other diets that we have to ask the question, what is the goal of the diet? Um, what diet will allow you to succeed? So it was interesting because there was, I mean, this is just how terrible our media is. You're going to find out that Kate and I are pretty heavy into the paleo way of eating and we'll talk about why we think that's the best um but the paleo diet actually cnn are right just the beacon of light for the world oh there's truth yes just emanating so much truthing um they every year they have a basically a publication or a you know they release an article that talks about the best diets and the paleo diet has consistently come up on the almost the last diet out of 30 diets. And the reason is because it's hard to follow, right? It's, and it's like, what? I, yes, that's the reason. I mean, this it's CNN. So what I was mean? literally going to say the paleo diet is the easiest one because well, that's, it's so common sense. And it's just so different though, than like, it's hard to go. It's hard to eat out at, and what? do paleo. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, right. w- w- you and I think it's kind of normal because we cook at home mostly and are in control of that. We've been doing it for a long time. It's, it's just, just no breads and beans, basically. Well, yeah, it's natural. It's whole foods. Yeah, it's yeah. like, yeah, I mean, but that's it. You have to cook yourself. You have to yeah. do it yourself. It's less processed stuff. Anyway, how stupid. Like, this is even a, again, this is, you, careful where you get your information from people because right. you can you can be hard to kill or you can be easy to kill. And I hate to say this the more and that we, when And it's not just CNN. About- Everyone wanting to kill you, <laughs> like do the opposite of what the media is trying to tell yeah. you. And it's not just CNN. I literally, it's, I don't care. Being like, well, that's left, right. It's, I don't, they all suck. All media. Um, we're the only ones that don't suck. <laughs> yeah. 
Just kidding. Uh, but a lot of diet, all these diets do work in the sense of like most people enjoy health benefits from it. it. Doesn't really matter. Like you'll hear stories, you'll hear the polar opposite of someone who goes vegan for a while and is like changed my life. And then you'll have someone that goes carnivore and literally does not eat a single vegetable and it changed their life. And so why do all these diets work? In, in When I say work, I mean move people towards a healthier outcome, whatever that is, yeah. right? And I think the simple answer is you're literally just cutting out refined foods. Yeah. You know I mean, it's, you're just... What's cut- the common denominator? The common denominator is usually it's sugar. You're cutting out sugar, which is a refined food, but all all refined. You're eating more foods the way God designed it, like whole foods. I mean, literally growing from a plant in your backyard or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's as close to nature a or living it's, thing yep. it's closer to how it was grown rather than you know process for you so let's go through our we're not you know again I, th- I do think at the end of the day surprise surprise we're going to we are proponents of the paleo diet but here's why so we would argue that the perfect diet the perfect human diet genetically congruent human diet and i think that's it i think what we have to look at is going okay what are we innately genetically designed to eat so how, what is it like, you know, what is a deer innately genetically? Like if you gave a deer pizza, mm-hmm. is there anyone on planet earth who would go, that's probably okay. Right? Like they're clearly a deer is not supposed to eat pizza, but we are. And I love pizza. Don't get me wrong. But it's just not something that we're genetically designed. I mean, it's crazy to think that we should be eating pizza. We do. And you and I even eat pizza. Mm-hmm. And that's the one thing as we go through this. Well, there's vegetables on pizza. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and whole grains. Not really. Meat? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you don't have to be perfect. Like a lot of people, we do this live workshop in our office and a lot of people leave depressed. But <laughs> they're like, what can we eat now? That we still don't eat perfectly. And by perfect, I mean the perfect diet all the time. I, I think the point is, is I don't even think we have to. And I would argue that it's, you're actually good to stress the body out a little bit once in a while. It's how you grow. Um, we've talked about that, I think, before as well. But it's what we do consistently. And I think if most of us are being honest, our bad habits in eating are actually a little more common than we think that they are. Right? Like, I never eat that stuff. Well, that's not true that you never do. Uh, and this is how, like, we, you know, as people even make changes, you know, they lose a bunch of weight. I was talking with a, with a, a patient in the office just the other day who did our six week metabolic reset program lost, I don't know, 28 pounds, something like that. And it's like, great, good job. And he's like, I can't wait to have a beer again. And it's like, I'm all for you having a beer again. The the thing is, is that it becomes really easy to go from once in a while to then that once in a while is two days a week, then three days a week, then four days a week, then five days a week. And next thing you know, you're right back to where you were before. And it's not that the diet didn't work. It's that you literally, you didn't work. Then we get back to, so it's always checking in, in you know, ourselves. And I think this framework of hopefully with what we're going to go over is going to be beneficial to you mm-hmm. to go, okay, is this, is this scratching an itch or is this providing a purpose? So the perfect diet must supply nutrients. We talked about that. Okay. Nutrients and energy, nutrients, and energy. So supply nutrients, good, but there needs to be, our food should be nutrient diverse, meaning? Not just one 
nutrient. Yeah. And one one thing you're consuming, like kale. Yeah. Or even a few things. It should be like, you know, all meat has different amino acid profiles in it. And, you know, like there's what, 20 amino acids? Yeah. That could be wrong. I don't know the answer to that. I think it is. Um, are we actually supplying our body? There are 20 essential amino acids, which I think, can we make any amino acids? Okay, so now we're getting Google to like, it. yeah, like biochemistry that I don't remember. Well, essential meaning we can't. Yes, That's you can't manufacture it. So like what you need to make sure that like, you know, like we need vitamin C. We don't, humans cannot produce their own vitamin C. Tigers can produce their own vitamin C. So tigers don't need to eat blueberries uh, or, you know, oranges. You know, they can produce their own. You don't see it. There's nine of a, of the amino acids. The, the It's 20 amino acids there are. And nine of them we cannot make. So amino acids are building blocks for protein and we cannot make nine of them. So we can manufacture, I would imagine, out of other amino acids or whatever, 11, but we need nine to come on our diet. And so if you're deficient in some of those amino acids, it just is you're not going to be able to manufacture proteins properly. And so you can't just be getting three of those essential amino acids. You have to be getting all nine of those essential amino acids. Same thing goes with minerals, nutrients, you know, minerals, vitamins and minerals. Same thing goes with different types of fats that we want a diverse diet. So when we're thinking about the food sources, if we're, I know people that like maybe hate red meat. So they just love chicken. That's their protein. They don't like fish. They don't like red meat. They only eat chicken. Well, unfortunately, that's not very diverse. You're getting all of your amino acids from one source. And so we want a diverse source of meat. We want a diverse source of fruits and vegetables. We want a diverse source of fat. We want to cover the, the spectrum so that your body is getting everything that it needs. Uh, and then the second thing, so not only nutrient diversity, but... Density. Meaning? That it should be packed full of nutrients. Yeah. So we don't... You want... Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. You want as... You want to make sure you're getting the adequate amounts. And so the more dense a substance is with nutrients the better off you could get to eat less to get the same amount of nutrients yeah it'll get you fuller quicker i mean this is a problem with agriculturally grown or modern day grown like vegetables for instance and i don't quote me on this because i don't have the exact study but i read this somewhere that if you look at like even spinach nowadays if it's grown not organically but just the general way that we do it like it's you have to eat i think 10 to 20 times the amount of spinach to get the same nutrient nutrient amount out of it that we used to get you know 20 years ago 50 Mm -hmm. years ago i don't know the numbers exactly but i think that is just the way that we farm now our soils have been depleted because we're mass producing things or whatever and so you you like we're getting these big beautiful strawberries they look good but they're not very nutrient dense anymore yeah right so um so nutrient diversity nutrient density so the perfect diet should supply as much range and amount of nutrients as possible and there is such a thing as overdoing nutrients i mean you know the old if it's worth doing it's worth overdoing is a kind of a great american thing but that's not true either you know you you nutrient density within the range of what we're genetically designed to eat so don't go you know like oh great i'm just gonna eat I'm not going to eat anything and I'm just going to take supplements and uh, just consume an entire bottle of vitamin C every day because density, your body's not able to utilize that. But you also don't want to be deficient in that as well. It's not very diverse either. It's not very diverse either. 
the great thing about eating healthy natural foods is that it, there's kind of a built-in feedback, meaning like you get full. <laughs> and so yeah. you it's kind of hard to over overdo that. Uh, you know, there's a term out there called superfood, which is used to kind of describe these foods that are nutrient dense, things like avocados and kale and eggs and liver and blueberries. They're very, for the, you know, the size of them, they're just packed with nutrients. I think that I hate the term superfood. It should just be food and everything else should be crap or, you know, what's the opposite of super? Substandard food. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like liver is a great example of nutrient diversity and nutrient density in one food. Um, so anyway, superfoods, just food. Let's eat super. Our superfood should be the food that we try and eat. What do your grandparents and great grandparents eat? That's probably what we should. Well, what eaten. did they eat? Yeah. Maybe yeah. What they don't eat anymore. Um, okay. The perfect diet again, must provide a healthy fuel source. So, Fuel generally comes in the forms of fats and carbohydrates. Proteins can be used for fuel in the body, but that's, I would say, less ideal and in, a, in an abnormal state of physiology if you're breaking down. That's gluconeogenesis for you biochemistry nerds where your body produces sugar out of uh, protein. Not the best way to go. Um, can be done, but not the best way to go. So when we think about where we get our carbs and our fat from, so carbs generally are the best fuel source. Uh, or the easiest fuel source for the body. Your body can do fat, but fat is not just a fuel source. Fats are, are really important for a lot of other things in the body. Um, but we want low glycemic carbs. So that would be, a, a if we're getting our fuel source, it would be low glycemic carbs. Um, you want to describe glycemic index a little bit? Not really. I mean, is it is a, the food going to jack up your insulin levels or is it going to affect your insulin levels less? Any foods that don't increase and create a big spike in your insulin levels you want to incorporate. Yeah. And so she's hundred percent right. I, the glycemic index really is a, it describes how quickly something that you eat will be released into your bloodstream. So for instance, in like the carb sense, how fast by the time you eat a apple, right? Or a chocolate bar or a piece of white bread, how fast, how easy is it for those nutrients to get through your digestive system into your bloodstream? The problem with, you could have the same net amount of, so you could have 10 grams of sugar or carbs, glucose, let's say, straight glucose, which is the fundamental unit of a carb in mm -hmm. the human body, glucose. Everything we eat generally breaks down into glucose. Um, so you could have the same amount, but if it takes twice as long for an apple to release those 10 grams of carbs into your bloodstream it's a lot easier for your insulin levels to regulate your blood sugar you don't have to release excuse me insulin as fast and so it's actually easier to see via a graph maybe a little bit hard to do over a podcast but um over audio uh but like a piece of white bread it's it's already broken down for you i mean this is part of the problem with refined foods i call it pre-digested so when we say things that are refined it means it's already been broken down for you. It's, it's just, it goes from your gut through your digestive. It doesn't, there's no work. Your stomach doesn't have to do any work. Your digestive enzymes don't really have to do any work. Everything's broken down as simple as possible. And it, you get this flood of nutrients, which can even be good for you. Like a protein shake has got protein. Protein itself isn't, doesn't raise your blood sugar, but will still spike insulin. 
your body still has to store it because you don't want a bunch of stuff floating around in your bloodstream. Your body tries to maintain your blood levels very tightly. And that's why you have insulin. Insulin is a storage hormone. It takes nutrients out of your bloodstream, stores it into the cells of your body, sugar, protein, less so fat, but, but, uh, and it will spike, you know, the, the more stuff you get in, the more insulin your body has to release. And then you get a quicker crash and, you know, we've talked about that. So anyway, you can go to a website and look on things that are like, what's the glycemic index of a banana? What's the glycemic index of a piece of white bread? And what you're going to find is even things like, like the more refined it is, the higher the glycemic index. And so like we've shown a graph before of, uh, let me think what it is, a piece of white bread, a chocolate bar, a banana, and there was something else I can't remember. And we ask our patients at the workshop is like, what do you think has the highest glycemic index? And everyone goes for the chocolate bar because it's got, you know, it's unhealthy and it's, it's the bread and not even, it wasn't even white bread. Pardon me. It was whole wheat bread, mm. but it's still, you've taken that grain, you've ground it up into a flour, which is broken down so finely. It takes no work for your digestive system to, you know, the, the digestive enzymes to break that down even further into straight glucose molecules. And it just causes a mass, even whole wheat bread causes a massive spike in your, your blood sugar. And ultimately then your insulin levels, like you talked about, and the more change you get in, you know, insulin levels, we turn into, I think we've talked about insulin levels on the podcast before and how it affects our metabolism, but it, that is the root cause of, of, for most people of, our obesity issues. We are we we have turned our body chemistry into storage people mm-hmm. and not burning people. Like it's you literally when if you have insulin in your bloodstream, you're storing. It means you're putting stuff into your body, you can't take stuff out. When you see someone with just extra weight carrying around, their body's just in storage mode. It's all I see. They're just in storage mode. Their metabolism, their hormones are off, their body is in storage mode and they can't access that those fat cells to burn where people that are really skinny, they're in burn mode all the time. And again, not, and I don't even think that too skinny is a good thing either. There's, there's, you need, need to be healthy, not one way or the other. So we want low glycemic carbs. The nice thing with that is generally speaking, your low glycemic carbs are fruits and vegetables. Now fruits will have a higher glycemic index because they contain fructose. They're simpler sugars than vegetables. Uh, but the nice thing about when you get a, when you eat whole foods like fruits and vegetables for your carbs that you generally get along with that. All the nutrients. Yeah. And fiber. Oh, fiber. Sorry, I, I tried to melt that. <laughs> you, we were not trying. You were not with me on that. Yeah. Fiber, which, uh, you know, fruits have fiber in them and fiber does slow your digestive system down. So when you eat something with fiber, it will not release, you will not release from your gut into your small intestine quickly. It takes longer to, for your body to try and cut up that fiber into smaller and smaller chunks. And so it just is slower. And so that will slow down glycemic release. Um, even if you have like a, you know, an, a, an apple, which has glucose and fructose in it, which is another simple form of sugar, uh, that will slow down your digestive process and the glycemic index of that food. So, uh, you know, Refined sugar, which is refined, right? Sugar, table sugar, dessert, breads, pastas, pizza, huh. refined, high glycemic index foods. And again, you can go to, the, I can't remember the website. I've done it before, but you can go and just type in glycemic index. You could type in the food and see what that is. Uh, the fuel source, again, healthy fats. We want healthy fats. Uh, 
most fats are healthy fats. Believe it or not. What's Yeah, right. So we've been kind of this whole thing, and maybe we can talk about this in a little bit more detail later, but well, later in this podcast, but what are, what's definitely not a healthy fat? Trans. See, now we're tracking. Now there we go. Um, trans fats, which are made, Katie, in what environment? A lab. Oh, made in a laboratory. So pretty much any fat made by nature. Man. Well, yes. Is healthy. Made, God designed, right? Versus we decided to make trans fats. We told people that was going to save them from all these dangerous fats. And it was going to stop heart disease and all and stop you from getting fat. And then what did it do? And it made us more fat and gave us more heart attacks heart and attacks, cancers. Yes, by leaps and bounds. So again, and we're talking way to what? go, humans. Trans fats, margarine, like that whole train. Yeah, which trans fats are not used very much anymore uh, because we realized that this thing that we thought was healthy was killing people. So again, kind of like this other thing maybe that we went through recently that we were promised was going to be it's safe and effective. And there are people like us who are like, yeah, I've heard that before. Like a little skeptical that something that come out of a lab is perfectly safe and effective. Uh-huh. Right. And it turns out it's a little less safe than they told us and a lot less effective than they told us. Yeah. Odd. Odd how there that really all. seems to be a continuing trend here. Yeah. What's the old saying? Fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice. No, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Yeah. Yeah. Fool me about a hundred times. We keep and the it. definition of insanity yes. is coming up too. So again, not to say that there's nothing good that comes out of a lab, but it's, huh. yeah, it's yeah. few and far between, okay. apparently. Um we're going to get into fats a little bit later, but we want healthy fats. And so, and, and again, I think if we go back to the healthy fats, we also need a diversity of fats. It, you know, we hear this big thing about, oh, saturated fat is bad for us. Animal fats are bad for us. It's no, no, it's like, there's so much more to the story. I mean, anything too much is bad for you. Water. If you drink too much water, it's bad. I literally had to tell a patient the other day, I'm like, you drink too much water. You have to cut back on water. what's healthy. Well, it's healthy in a normal range. Like, you're going to drown yourself, literally pull all the electrolytes out of your body. You think it's healthy. You know, again, if it's worth doing, it's worth overdoing. We need diversity in fats. That's the key issue. Diversity in foods. You can't overdo one. So a healthy fat might be uh, avocado oil, mm-hmm. which is, a, you know, we'll talk about some of this stuff. Well, you can't have too much avocado oil and that's all you do because it's healthy. That's it's not good either. Like yeah. we need like my dad. My dad, I mean, I know everyone's dad told them this, but I literally remember my dad always like moderation and everything, moderation and everything. So he only does a little bit of cocaine. So that's good. <laughs> Just kidding. He, he doesn't. doesn't. He doesn't do cocaine. Uh, appropriate caloric intake. And so when we talk about a fuel source, we need the right calories for our expenditure, right? Two little calories is actually, well, okay, so too many calories, definitely a problem. Not so much in one sitting, but over time, too much calories, a big problem, right? And we yeah. say too much calories, we mean there needs to be a balance between how many calories you're burning every single day and there needs to be, the, and you know, and what you're consuming every single day. And let's maybe talk about this a little bit. How many calories do we burn in a day? There's two factors here. So number one is your basal metabolic rate. This is basically how many calories it takes to just keep you alive. So if you, like all your body systems, how much energy are you expending just with normal organ function? Just to run you. Just to run your body, yep. Yep, and then how much 
active calories are you burning a day because of? So right before this podcast, we went for a three-mile walk outside. And I think we burned 235 calories or something like that. That was that was active calories. That wasn't the cal- that wasn't the however many calories it took to keep us alive. I burned the- more calories than you because I inhaled a bug and I coughed Talked the, entire the time. rest of the time. It was a really peaceful walk, by the way. <laughs> Hacking the whole time. Uh, now I lost my train of thought. Active calories. Calorie burn. Yeah, so yeah. we just need to balance that. So how many total calorie expenditure? And there's calculators out there that you can get. That based on your kind of, it's a rough estimate. I mean, there's ways to do this technically so you know how many calories. Like if you want to maintain, if I'm a 170 pound male, uh, biologically also identifies a male. Uh, soaking wet. Soaking wet, 170. That is true. <laughs> it's really like 100. I do fluctuate like two pounds, 168 to 170. It's 170 is probably a little too, a little too much. I should be like 165 to 168. That's probably my range. You mean you're overweight well, right I, now? Well, I'm, I mean, I'm a little, you know, I get, I could tighten up around the midsection, I think. But that's why we're walking more now. We're going to, we're sure. trying to walk more. Um, so there are calculators that you can go, if I want to maintain that much weight based upon a 41 year old male, uh, you know, here's how, here's what my typical BMR is. And again, this, these are ranges, estimates, guesstimates. They're not like I could go in a, they could hook me up to look like Darth Vader, right? Where they put, get you on a treadmill and they see how much you're breathing out. And I don't totally understand how they calculate all that, but there's ways to calculate what your BMR is. But your BMR is not this steady thing either. It does fluctuate and change based on your insulin levels actually and some other hormones. So that we could talk about a little, but there's a range that how much, you know, it might be 1600 calories that I'm burning, 1200 calories that I'm burning, maybe 1600 calories that I'm burning just in my BMR. And then if I burn, 500 calories on activity during the day, I should be eating 2,100 calories to maintain my weight, right? So I eat 2,800. If my metabolic health is appropriate, my hormones are normal, my BMR will just boost by a little bit to try and burn that excess off. Any excess I store as fat that I'll use for a later day, okay? So if you starve yourself, your body uses some fat. So you're not really deficient in calories ever. Your body just lowers your BMR or burns more fat to compensate so that your output equals your input. Cool. I mean, we've covered. Um, so we want, again, healthy healthy uh, glycemic index, healthy intake of fuel, which is glycemic index, the appropriate amount of calories, and healthy fats. So much of our foods are pro-inflammatory. So the perfect diet really should not promote inflammation. In fact, when we eat naturally, it really it should help decrease our inflammation. Um rather than promote it. And these are really made up of the types of chemicals, the types of foods that we're eating. And just generally as a rule, when you're eating whole foods, Dr. Ben Lerner, you know, chiropractic coach, mentor for us, food by God versus food by man. When we generally eat food by God's in the right amounts, it decreases inflammation in the body. When we eat food by man, it tends to promote inflammation in the body. Inflammation, excess inflammation. Inflammation is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful biologic process that the body goes through and it is responsible for us regenerating and healing tissue. However, too much inflammation in the body and systemic inflammation in the body, which we will not get into today, but is a huge issue. Since you kind of brought up the fasting a little bit, that mm-hmm. is another part of that. Again, we're not going to, we will talk about fasting in detail, but 
go ahead. Caloric restriction is another important part of what we would consider part of a quote unquote perfect diet. Um, and that's fasting, whether it be intermittent fasting or just giving your body a break of a one or two day fast or however long um, you're comfortable fasting. But giving a break from digesting food is really, really good for you. Um, that means not snacking, not grazing all day. I know, wasn't there, I think, a typical dietitian when they're dealing with people with type 2 diabetes, the, I think the general diet plan for diabetics is to graze all day to maintain your insulin levels, but your main, blood sugar. your blood sugar levels, but you're maintaining high blood sugar levels at that point. Yeah. So you're exactly right. That's and you know, maybe that is changing a little bit, but certainly when we were in school, it was, this is the whole difference between managing an issue versus trying to reverse an issue. So people with type 2 diabetes is we have these bad insulin levels. The body, insul our insulin sensitivity is poor. And so we eat six small meals a day to make it easier for our poor insulin, you know, responding cells to get to accept the stuff that we eat. But all that we really do is lock in high insulin levels because every time you eat, you know, we're raising insulin levels. So it's a way to manage type 2 diabetes, but it is certainly not a way to reverse type 2 diabetes. Yeah, which this whole part is terrible news for my extended family because we love to snack. Right. We get together and we're snacking all day. Your sister has a term called snacky stuff. Snacky stuff. And apparently, I think this is a... Now, I could be wrong and this might be not the case, but one of my sisters dated a guy from Germany for a while and he pointed out the fact that like at least in Germany from where he was from they they don't do that they don't snack like that it's he attributed the snacking as um an american thing they so, also drink with almost every meal and yeah. they've started two world wars so screw the germans well they might be slightly healthier than us perhaps yeah it's the schnitzel <laughs> um if you are German like I am, please don't take offense um, because we're afraid what you're going to do. <laughs> okay, it, listen, if you can't laugh a little bit, then this is the wrong podcast for you. Uh, but yeah, so as Kate mentioned, it's and it. there's two things I think with the, the perfect diet should include days of calorie restriction and days of fasting, and they can be different. And so you can fast or time restrict your eating and still get the same amount of calories in, you just squish all those calories into a shorter period of time. Mm -hmm. That would be considered time restricted eating. And then there should, and then we should have days of calorie restriction. The body, we talked earlier about overeating. The body has literally no genetic defense against overeating. Like we have insulin. And then the only tool we have is to store, yeah. is to get fat. That's how we deal with overeating. We have so many, well, I guess we can raise our basal metabolic rate a little bit. But we really don't have very many defenses against overeating. But starvation or periods of caloric restriction, it, not only does the body have genetic defenses for that, but it actually thrives in that environment when it can be replaced with, at the end of that, good nutrients, nutrient-diverse, nutrient-dense food to recover from that. And so there's so many, and we will get into, there's, you know, I mean, when we talk about fasting, it's anywhere from helping the body sensitize to insulin to, you know, uh, detoxing to giving your digestive system a rest all the way up to cellular 
autophagy and cellular recycling, healing at a higher level, the longer we go into fasting. And so we will break this down from what what are the benefits of shorter fasts to medium range fat, like time restricted eating, like you and I generally do. First meal is generally at lunch. Well, lunchtime, it would be breakfast technically, but we have it at lunchtime, mm-hmm. break fast, uh, all the way to one, two, three day, seven day or longer. A Jesus fast? Uh, do you ever want to do a Jesus fast? No, I don't even like, I don't like fasting. Days. I mean, there is the whole thing about like, we eat to scratch an itch, like, even for people like you and I, you maybe are better. You've done longer fasting than I have, but like I love, so Sunday I didn't eat all day and I had one meal and it was a ribeye at the end of the night. And I just, I mean, not only did that ribeye taste delicious, I mean, it was just fun to eat it. I mean, to satisfy the hunger. And so there is a lot of satisfaction with that. The longest I've done is a three day fast. You've trumped me on that. You've done a seven day fast. Um, But we'll talk, we can talk about that. We'll do a full breakdown of that. The later podcast. Yeah. So no, I don't, I don't, I mean. It's good spiritually too. Prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. Go hand in hand. The, the perfect diet must contain fermented foods. Fermented foods are just foods that, that literally have a microbiome of their own. They're, they're not clean. They're, you know, have microorganisms, bacteria, yeast that have been breaking that stuff down. Um, and so things like kimchi, kefir, sauerkraut, pickles, full fat yogurt, uh, which kombucha. we kombucha. Yep, exactly. Um, th- that should just be a, you know, one of the thing about our, we have more bugs, viruses, parasites, bacteria, fungus, yeast on and in us than we do human cells in our body by a factor of 10 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have 37 trillion human cells. So there's, you know, we have at least 300 and 70, if my math is correct, trillion cells of bacteria, yeast, parasites on an us, And having a dense and diverse microbiome is essential for health. And so one of the things in our modern life, we've, you know, we sanitize and we clean everything. And there are good reasons to sanitize things, but I think we've overdone it a little bit. And, and not only do we really make it harder to keep a continual good supply of that good beneficial and even the bad bacteria once in a while in your body, if you have a good, strong microbiome, having a little bit of bad bacteria is not a problem. Like it's your body's, it can't compete with the good. Right. You know, it's like, you know, weeds are much more likely to grow in a poorly maintained garden than in a healthy garden where there's no room for weeds to grow then. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, the weeds are choked out by the healthy plants. Uh, and so the first, you know, normal Vaginal delivery, that's like a, our first meal of bacteria uh, is the birth process, which we don't do very much anymore, but that should continue throughout life. And so for that largely, it, just getting outside in nature and breathing air in, working with your hands in the dirt, you're going to be getting some of that stuff. We do that less these days, but um, but also, you know, eating some of these fermented foods is really important. And this is the, I think the downside of also things like antibiotics and chlorinated tap water. We talked about tap water earlier in this podcast is, you know, that's chlorine is in tap water to try and stop that from, you know, to stop microorganisms from living in there, but that, you know, we drink that as well. And that can have an effect on our, on the microbiome inside of our body. So we do want fermented foods to be a part of the part of our diet. Anything to add to that? Nope. What about dairy? 
Um, that should be restricted uh, or eliminated, especially, obviously, if you have a sensitivity to it, because the whole purpose of, for example, cow's milk is to bring a small calf and grow it to a one-ton animal or however heavy cows do. Now, is raw dairy the worst thing for you? Absolutely not. Uh, I don't think. It depends on, yeah, I think our, our thing is we definitely want to minimize dairy in the sense of like a lot of dairy that we eat is fermented. A lot of dairy that we eat is changed. Like cheese is really just the proteins of dairy. It's the whatever whey proteins, casein, I don't even know. Mm-hmm. Fats and proteins. You've taken out some of the other stuff. Um, the, one of the problems with, you know, really lactose is something that the milk sugar we should genetically stop producing that enzyme after infancy. So humans are one of the only animals that drinks milk past infancy. And we're one of the only animals that drinks other animals milk. Uh, It's delicious. There's no question. And there is some nutrition to it. Like there is some stuff in there that's good. It's just a matter of, are we genetically designed to eat that? Uh, As Kate said, if you're getting whole milk, raw milk, you know, there's a lot of good stuff in there. Good fat. There's a lot of good stuff in there that can be beneficial for you. There are two types of dairy in the sense of like a genetic variant of the type of proteins in there. There's one, it's called A1 and A2. Uh, Basically A1, a lot of people are, seem to be sensitive to this type of A1 casein variant, which is again, type of protein in there, uh, in the milk. And that can trigger immune responses in people. I think, especially if they have a leaky gut where people, where if you drink, a2 style, there seems to be less of an issue. Now, this is still, I think, not solid, but, you know, uh, and there are people who can drink dairy just fine. And there are people that I think lots, I think anytime you do lots of something, I think we should cut down on the amount of dairy that we drink. No question. But uh, if you're getting whole, full fat stuff, probably less of an issue, especially yeah. if you're not sensitive. Now, if you're a person who's really sensitive to dairy, then if you get bloated afterwards, you affect your digestive system, you need to just cut it out until you get your digestive system back on track. And then you can start to reintroduce that stuff if you want to. Yeah. And I've heard people have a sensitivity to like commercially raised or normally, you know, grocery bought non-organic dairy. And then they switched and found a local farm and started consuming raw dairy and never had an issue with that in terms of sensitivity. So I guess there, I mean, there is something to that. Um, and people go, well, what about like yogurt? Isn't yogurt dairy? Yes, but it is fermented. Fermented. So there is some chemical changes that happen during the fermentation process. And again, it's more of the fat, uh, uh, that you're getting. So, yeah. um, anyway, try and minimize dairy. If you're a big lover of dairy, you know, there's, You've got your almond milk and your soy milk and your rice milk. And I think there's definitely some downsides to some of that stuff as well. I don't think it's best just to kind of cut it out. Well, what about my cereal in the morning? What do I have on my cereal? (laughs) Should we be having cereal in the morning? Well, if we looked at the perfect human diet, the answer would be no. No. Uh, And then the perfect diet must limit toxin exposure. And this is interesting. So we're going to go down an interesting twist with this as we talk about the carnivore diet versus the vegetarian diet. But the big concept here is most of our industrially raised plants and animals are 
contaminated would be a good word, right? I mean, we use chemicals, herbicides, pesticides, that sort of stuff, which, you know, we wash our vegetables and fruits and some of that stuff. But if we're getting it from a, a non-organic, you know, locally or, a, you know, grocery store mass produced, mm -hmm. there's going to be chemicals on and in our plants. It's, it's not nutrient diverse and there's toxins in there. And so you're kind of the cost benefit you're spending a lot in toxins to get very little benefit in nutrients. And so this is where organic has definitely the edge. It costs more, but it probably doesn't cost. If you break down the cost of cost per nutrient, organic probably does not cost more, right? It's right. you're getting quantity of food in you, but you're not getting quality of food in you. Uh, and then there's obviously the toxin, you know, so antibiotics and chickens and, you know, growth hormones and all these things that we're eating that again, as soon the further you go away from how God has designed the planet to work without human intelligence in there, meaning like how you know eating an animal that was just raised by another animal in nature, eating what it's supposed to eat, you know that whole cycle of life thing. The more we go away from that, and manipulate there are downsides to it, and there are upsides to it. Like I understand that it's nice to be able to produce um you know hundred thousand chickens on a farm and feed a lot of people. But there are downsides to that as well. It's nice to not spend a lot of money, but there are downsides when it comes to health. And so that's not up for debate. It's, you know, I understand that there's arguments both ways, but as far as the health thing, you, you as soon as you as soon as you move away, humans really have never intervened with the natural order of things and improved upon it, made it work better. Exactly. We only mess it up, it seems. Yeah. So and it makes me mad that we ha would have to pay more for food that's been treated less sprayed less like that does not make sense in my brain yeah it's just demand right you can grow more of the fake stuff and so you can sell it so you're getting it costs less but overall you're getting more because you have 10 of this to sell versus three it takes longer to raise chickens naturally than it does to fill them full of hormones and antibiotics so you can sell more at the end of the day but and this is again where you and i get to vote with our dollars right so this is we get to tell the world how we feel about that by do we give money to the Purdue, the mass produce farmers or Tyson or whatever, or do we give it to someone local who's yeah. raising chickens for us? Or and better yet, I mean, I'd love to have chickens running around in my backyard, cut off the heads Absolutely. of those little suckers and put them on the grill. <laughs> That's more accurate. Yes. Foolproof way of voting. Yes. Okay. That's it for today. We will pick up in a week or two and go through, we'll talk about macros, uh, mm -hmm. proteins, carbs, fats, and then how those macros are split up into the other diets and how they rate on our perfect diet uh, grid. Mm -hmm. And we will uh, we'll go through some of those. Atkins, we'll talk about a little bit. Paleo, carnivore, vegetarian, uh, keto, some of those other diets. And uh, we'll dive into this a little deeper. So Sounds like a plan. Thanks for joining us again. As always, be hard to kill and... Jesus loves you. Boop.